With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate. Here on Reality Check Radio, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Remember, send us a text, 2057. Email us, inbox at realitycheck.radio. Oh, we've been going over nine months. And one of the great pleasures of RCR has been getting to know Professor Guru Wally Richards. What a wonderful man. Thank you. And also picking up gardening. Oh, my goodness, I have loved it. and. I've just got Wally Richards' latest gardening book. I started to read it. My mother-in-law's visiting. Now she's grabbed it, and I can't get near it. So it's a very good book, Wally, for the Christmas stocking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, You're actually a great great writer. uh, Yeah, and and I've had no formal training either. (laughs) Well, my mother-in-law is, like, really enjoying just reading it. And um, she's a very keen gardener, and um, she picked it up, and it's the last I've seen of it, Wally. Well, I've read a lot of Stephen King, see, and I kind of follow like him. But I, <laughs> I, I don't do about the weird and wonderful and the frightening. <laughs> I do about the natural, and it's good to be in the garden stuff. Well, we're going to have a break over Christmas, so what should our gardening friends be doing over this Christmas break in their garden? Okay. Well, one of the most important things is getting their winter crops in, and that should be starting this month and continuing through January, February, and into March, and that's about your last chance. So, in other words, we plant for succession. You don't plant out 500 cabbages because you're not going to eat 500 cabbages in a couple of weeks' time altogether. So you're planting two or three of each thing. Now, it's quite good that some of the nurseries are putting out uh, cell packs where there's six plants in there, but there's two of broccoli, two of cabbage, two Mm. of cauliflower. Mm. Now, they're ideal because you just plant two of them of each and then – you leave it for a week or two, and then you plant another lot, right? Succession, most important, right? Um, if you don't get your winter crops in now, when we've got the ultimate daylight hours, that is, except for the dimming of the sun, of course, but uh, under normal circumstances, um, you've got a good, what, up to 16 hours of sunlight a day or mm. night, and mm. hence plants need that light to grow. So we get our plants in now, they will grow nicely, and as you're heading into winter, which is probably somewhere around about May, June period of time, they should have reached maturity, right? And then they will sit nicely in the cold weather like they're in a great big deep freeze, and you can harvest at your leisure. Right? 
So planting now and over the next couple of months in succession will ensure that you have good range of cabbages, cauliflowers, broccoli or whatever to eat during the winter months. When, generally speaking too, a lot of produce is a bit more expensive um, at that time of the year. Now, forgive my ignorance as a gardening uh, neophyte, Wally. When you say winter crops, is that a type of crop or is it just referring to the time at which you plant them? There is specific um, cabbages, lettuces, etc., which are more suited to winter growing or summer growing, mm. right? So the problem, of course, if you're buying seedlings, it's not necessary that the um, nurseries are producing the right stuff. They're probably producing whatever seeds they've got available, <laughs> and it might be giving you summer cabbages for planting for winter. Yeah. Now, they'll still grow, but they won't do as good as. Mm. Um, ideally, if you go on to one of the mail-order seed places like Edmont Seeds, King Seeds, <coughs> you, you can find varieties which are suitable for winter harvesting or for summer harvesting. Got it. A and that does make a difference for sure. Mm. If, if you don't get the stuff in, and, and unfortunately you see, say, round about April, May, seedlings in the garden shops, cabbages, etc. Um, and you think, if you don't know better, oh, oh, I'll plant some of those now. You're wasting your time because when you put them in, they're not going to grow much because it's too short a daylight hours. And so they kind of sit there and sulk, only growing very minimally. And then as spring starts to happen and the daylight hours extend, the plants which feel that they have been in stress as a result of this not being able to grow much um, will go to seed or bolt. And mm. you're wasting your time completely. In terms of this planting them out every couple of weeks, is it possible to put a whole lot of seeds in a, one of those seed containers and grow them, and then every couple of weeks remove three or four, plant them out, uh, remove three or four, plant them out? Is yep. that an, does that work as an efficient way of doing it? Yeah, and particularly each time you go to take some out, you plunge the container into a bucket of water, let it bubble away, and then lift it up, let it drain a bit, and you can separate the plants much easier because the roots will just slide out mm. from the mm. wet mix. If it's dry mix, you just damage roots because they hold on. Mm. Oh, well, so um, this is actually quite a busy time because you're trying to get those vegetables to get you as far through the winter as you possibly can. Mm. And besides that, of course, you've got your summer crops that you're harvesting. Yes. So, oh, can I tell you, my board beans are delicious. Oh, good. Excellent. They're never making it to the pot. 
Ah, right. You're eating them uh, where they stand. <laughs> where they stand, they're so beautiful. I've got tomatoes. My lettuces are doing well. Um, and glory to God, my potatoes, I haven't I haven't dug them up yet, but oh my goodness, they're looking so healthy. The green bits at the top are right. doing extraordinarily well. Now, I planted a row, row of garlic on the shortest day. Okay. We're coming up to the longest day. Should right. I harvest my garlic? Um, yes, you can do. Or what I would tend to do is maybe just lift one or two. In fact, you can, if you put your fingers into the soil where the stem is coming out and you can feel how big the bulb is ah. underneath, right? Now, that will give you an indication of how good you've done with your mm. crop. Mm. If the bulb isn't too big, a lot of people like to leave it for another month. Okay. So uh, get a bit more energy from the sun because of long daylight hours um, and then harvest at that point of time. The the key, of course, is to get a nice big bulb that's got lots of lovely big fat cloves in it. Mm. And when you do harvest, um, you lift your plant out of the ground and you lay it um, on concrete or somewhere, initially in a place where it's going to be nice and sunny to dry the crop. And then if it looks like rain, of course, move it under the carport or somewhere like that because you don't want them to get any wetter. You're trying to dry them. Mm -hmm. And then once it's dried off nicely, you can just take the um, the foliage that's deteriorated off and you've got your uh, lovely bowl full of cloves. And how do I know when my potatoes are ready to be harvested? Ah, same trick. In the old days, and I, I forget the expression, but there's a Scottish expression where it's correct or something, you, where you put your finger under the soil and you feel the tubers, mm. right, underneath the plant. And if you feel a nice big one, well, you pluck it out without mm. harvesting your plant. Um, I forget the term, but it's an, an interesting um, expression. Uh, and with my potatoes, I've planted a lot because mm -hmm. I love potatoes. Right. Am I best to just harvest them as I need them, or do you harvest them all in one go? What's the theory about harvesting potatoes? Right. Okay. The biggest problem these days is the potato tomato salad, right? Now, if you're free of that, good. You don't have a great problem. And anybody that's grown potatoes at this point in time, I suggest that they either crack out one or two potatoes, see how big they are, or lift the plant and check the crop underneath. Now, if the potatoes are a good size, that's good. If they're only about the size of a marble and starting to reshoot, that means they were attacked by solids earlier in the piece. Mm. Like, if the potatoes, on the other hand, are nice size and you cut one in half and it's nice and doesn't have the dark rings or zebra rings or whatever you like to call it, if it does have those rings, but no good. That's solid damage. 
Um, if you're going to leave the potatoes in the ground, which you can do, and there's a possibility that psyllids will attack. Now, I've had a few instances of this, that people have grown potatoes, and about this time, coming up to Christmas, they think, oh, good, um, we'll have some nice, lovely new potatoes for Christmas dinner. And they lift a plant, and the potatoes are perfect. They leave the rest of them in the ground, and about a month later, they come to lift, and the potatoes are history. They've got the rings in them. The problem with leaving them in the ground with the tops on means that the psyllid can get to the tops, they can feed on them and inject the toxins in, which will go down to the tubers and cause the dark rings, which makes them taste horrible right, and useless. So if you're going to leave them in the ground, the best thing to do is to cut all the tops off and then cover the stubble with some soil so there's nothing the psyllids can get to. And they will mm. sit ha happily in the ground until you're ready to harvest. Would you be leaving them there for weeks or months? Um, well, at some point in time, of course, they will reshoot yes. in nature. So you can leave them there for quite some time, in actual fact, um, mm. before mm. they start to reshoot. The time factor will depend on factors like the soil temperature, moisture, blah, 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 right? Mm. Um, potatoes, interestingly enough, um, to make them shoot, it's done by a change of temperature. So potatoes that you're buying from the supermarket, they have been uh, harvested and they're normally put into chillers, right, to store them. And if you have the fridge capacity and you dig up your potatoes and you put them in the, the, your fridge or the beer fridge without the beer or something, right, they, they will hold much nicer without shooting. When you bring them out and you, as you do from the supermarket, they've already started to warm up a bit, except for the chillers there. And you have them in the kitchen, which is a nice room, warm room, get that right. Uh, that's when they shoot. So often uh, you find within a few weeks uh, of bringing potatoes home, or even a week or two, they started to reshoot. It causes a change of temperature. So somewhere dark and cool is the place to store your potatoes. Yes, yeah. And the best place is in the ground with the with their greens cut off and covered. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's very I... exciting. That's very exciting. And um, I got, I've only got half a dozen yams growing, which is a bit annoying. I grew grew a large patch, but the birds hoed into them like you couldn't believe. Oh, right. Man, they loved those jolly yams. They picked and picked and picked. Um, now, when you're growing in your little garden, Wally, and I have, like, my potato patch, should that be my po potato patch next year or should I make my potato patch somewhere else? Um, the aspect of revolving crops around from place to place means that any disease or any insect pests that have got into the crop in that place and you move to a different place, uh, you're not um, putting the plants to a, a problem area. Ah. And also also the, uh, the food content in that area, even though you're revitalising it, hopefully, 
with the fresh compost, etc., etc. Um, but a particular crop will take certain goodness out of the soil where you can plant a different crop in and that will take other goodness out. Mm. So, so it's that, a good idea to be rotating. Well, it's it's safe. It's better safe than sorry, mm. put it that way. Um, mm. But in saying that, when you're growing a crop such as tomatoes and you've got a perfect place against brick or concrete wall or something, nice and sunny, nice and sheltered, and you grow your tomatoes there because that's the best place for them. And I know gardeners have grown in the same spot for years, 25 years. And other than the seasonal problems, have no problem. Because yes. they, they're putting the goodness back in each yes. time. Yes. And dealing to the pests. Mm. And now, um, let us take a wee moment because we have some questions in from listeners. Hi, Rodney. When you have your next show with Wally Richards, can you please discuss powdery mildew on tomato plants in the glasshouse? Okay. This one I find interesting, and I have had a couple of people ring me in recent times saying, I've got powdery mildew on my tomato plants in the glasshouse. And I've gone, really? Are you sure it's powdery mildew? And it's turned out to be actual psyllid damage, right, on the plants. So a fungi growing up and down the trunks and on the leaves, etc., caused by the toxins that the psyllid inject in. Ah. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that you can't have powdery mildew on tomato plants, but I've never seen it. And I suspect it's not an, a happening thing. You get powdery mildew on silver beet. You'll get powdery mildew on various plants, right? Um, and normally, with a lot of plants, it happens outside in the autumn, right, when the moisture's around and the temperatures are, are down and powdery mildew proliferates over your pansies and stuff, right? Um if it was powdery mildew, my suggestion would be just spray um, with our neem tree oil that I have, Wally's Super Neem Tree Oil. Um, on plants like pumpkin leaves and so forth, which are very prone to powdery mildew in the autumn, um, spray with that, they're back to green instantly. It, oh, goodness. It's the oil uh, that takes away the white, what's name? The white powdery, what's name, reduces the plant's ability to get energy from the sun, and hence um, it's coming to the end of its life anyway, um, with pumpkins, etc. Now, there's another point too, most important. People growing pumpkins, zucchinis, uh, courgettes, zucchinis, if the fruit is not setting, in other words, uh, you have your flower and then the embryo fruit uh, is there after the flower is finished, and then it rots or goes yellow and rots. That's because it never got pollinated. And this time of the year, when you've got your pumpkin squash, etc., etc., and zucchinis growing, it pays to, in the morning, go out and check the plants for male and female flowers. 
you're not too much worried about the males, but you are worried about the females. Now, the female flower, of course, has the embryo fruit behind the petals. But the male doesn't have that, and it has a stamen, which is straight up like, you know, one of those things that straight up. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think we get that We're getting yeah. complicated now. Yeah. Okay. So what I do, I find a female that's there, and that's, and the centre part of the flower is, is roundish, right? And, and that's where it needs pollen. I pick a male flower and remove the petals, so I've just got stamens sticking straight out, which I then can poke into the female flower and pollinate the flower and set the fruit. Now, if you do that on a regular basis, you only have to do it once for each one, and you will have a good crop and you won't have any fizzes. Isn't that astonishing? And ordinarily an insect would be doing that business. Yeah, if you've got bumblebees around, um, possibly honeybees, but it's more bumblebees. Sometimes it's flies. Um, mm. They go from flower to flower to get the nectar, and in doing so they get some pollen on their bodies, and hence they transfer it from one to the other. Now, if this lady on her tomatoes hasn't got powdery mildew and has a psyllid, how could she tell by looking at it which one she's got? Well, first of all, with psyllid, they're very hard to see without a magnifying glass, right? So people really need to go out on the internet and look up tomato psyllid um, from a uh, matched website or whatever and have a look and see the photographs of what they look like, the adult, which is once again only a flying insect which is only two or three millimetres uh, in size. Once again, if you see them, you probably think, oh, it's just a little midgy fly. Um, but no, it's an adult psyllid. Uh, the nymphs, you need a magnifying glass to see them on the foliage. You can uh, see their droppings, which are like little pieces of sugar on the foliage. Uh, that's their droppings. And you've got to ascertain whether you've got them or not. If you haven't got them, well, that's good. Um, it's another problem. Um, and basically, I think best thing to do is people ring me up on the 0800 number and um, have a bit of a chat and I can discern mm. what the problem actually is. And some yeah. people send me photographs, email yeah. me photographs and, and so forth. Well, there and you go. And if they've got the psyllids, what do they do? Well, that's a good question because if the populations are fairly great, really, they're too late. They've missed the boat. Mm -hmm. um, they could spray with neem oil, chemical insecticides and so forth to try and keep the populations down. but. Um, one female psyllid will lay 300 eggs. It's only a matter of two or three weeks, depending upon temperature, that 300 more females are going to lay another 300 more eggs. Mm. So your population could be up in the millions within a couple of months. Okay. 
Next question, Wally. I've got loads of cabbage moths in Kiri Kiri. Now, when they say cabbage moths, uh, I presume, and being Kiri Kiri, it's the army moth that I talked about, which is a moth that lays its eggs at night time because that's when they're active. And there's literally untold of these in the northern part of the North Island, um, creeping south over time. It's causing a very big problem for gardeners and commercial growers because they've got untold of them. And one thing that can be done, when you initially plant your brassicas, cabbages or whatever, and you check the seedlings for eggs on them, because quite often when you go and buy them from a garden centre and take them home, um, there's little yellow eggs on the plants already. And if you plant those without wiping the eggs off, of course, those little caterpillars will hatch out and start devouring what's they without any new infestation happening to the plants. Once they're clean and you plant them, my suggestion is crop cover. Crop cover is a white netting, which is very much like the same netting you would use in a scoop for whitebait catching, right? Mm -hmm. That, that mm -hmm. sort of net, right, this plastic. It lasts for years. You get some alkathene pipe, the rigid stuff, not the soft stuff that you use for irrigation in the home garden, but the stuff the farmers use, which you can get from Bunnings and places like that, um, and you make some hoops. The hoops are going to be about a metre high in the centre, and then the ends are stuck in the ground, right? Over that, you put your crop cover, the white, what's the name? On the far side, you hold it down by putting soil along the far side. In the front side, you're going to put four by two or whatever to hold it in place there, and at the end, similarly. So that means you can take your four by two off, you can fold it back, you can go and weed, do whatever, and then put it back down again, right? The crop cover means that birds, butterflies, insects, aphids, um, cats, all the pesky things, possums, <laughs> can't get to your crop and, and destroy it. And it creates a microclimate underneath that. So the plants very grow much faster, for sure. Oh, wow. And that doesn't reduce the light too much? No, um, it does knock it back a little bit, of course. But when we're dealing with brassicas, we've got big leaves, a big mm -hmm. leaf plant. Now, big leaf plants don't need so much sunlight because they've got big leaves. They've mm. got a bigger solar panel to catch the energy. Okay, Wally. I'm in Amberley, North Canterbury, and a few weeks ago the white butterfly here was horrendous. We had clouds of them. My lemon tree is absolutely covered in white butterfly now, and it's such a big tree. I wouldn't even know where to start to get rid of it. Okay. Now, he's saying white butterfly. I think it's not butterfly at all. It's white fly. Mm. The little wee, what's the name? Because 
I've never seen in my long years of experience that butterflies really attack lemon trees other than maybe um, when the flowers are out, the butterfly is collecting some nectar from the flowers for the energy, but that's it. They're not going to lay eggs there. They're not going to do anything at all. But whitefly, different ballgame, right? And particularly on citrus trees and tomatoes and a few other plants. And with citrus trees, it's so simple. You get our Wally's neem tree granules and you sprinkle them from the trunk to the drip line underneath the tree and give them a light watering. The oil from the granules seeps out, gets into the soil, gets into the roots of the citrus tree, and then translocates the properties through the whole tree. Within six to eight weeks of doing that, under normal circumstances, your tree will be clear of all insect pests, scale, borer, whitefly, blah, 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 without having to spray or do anything. That's a magic, that's, that. a mag- that's a magic product. It, it is, it's a, and it works extremely well on citrus trees. Um, and even a tree that's like 20, 30 foot high cleans the whole thing up. Hmm. Hi, Rodney. Ask Wally about treatment for myrtle rust. That is something dangerous and will kill a hedge. Yes, yes. And I have not experienced it myself, and I haven't had any feedback. And looking as to what math and so forth say about it, they haven't got an answer. Now, oh, wow. Myrtle rust, of course, spreads. Um, through a number of our native plants, and, of course, it's in the bush and it gets carried away. There hasn't been a lot of talk about it in recent times. My thoughts are using a spray of potassium permagnate, which is Condi's crystals, and that's a quarter of a teaspoon uh, to a litre of water. Adding to that sulphur powder, sprayable sulfur powder, and adding to that also um, liquid copper, and adding to that as well, we've got four things in here, some rain guard, right, and to spray with that. Also, there's a possibility to build up the um, the health of the um, plant by once a month spraying with perfection, and also, of course, magic botanic liquid on a regular basis. Mm. A lot of things, plants are like us. If we get into stress, we catch a cold. Plants are the same thing. If they get into stress through lack of water, too much water, not enough sunshine or whatever, then they're more vulnerable to catching a disease. Mm. Like, and by building up and fortifying the plant, we can um, help reduce the stress aspect and hence keep it healthier looking. Um, I, I, I had an interesting conversation um, with a chap just recently about his roses. Now, he, 
he loves his roses and he had been spraying the roses diligently with shield and super shield two chemicals which i think are still available bloody expensive but his roses always have black spot right he, he couldn't get it on top shield is a chemical which does more harm than good in so much as initially it works against fungus diseases and against pests but those pests because it's a poison and those diseases become immune to it and all it does then is make the plant uh unhealthier it's it's like ourselves if we have an infection we're given an antibiotic right the antibiotic zaps the infection but it also takes away a lot of our good um microbes bacteria mm. whatever right so then we have to refortify ourselves to build up the goodies right uh, and the same thing applies with plants their immune system is hampered as a result of these chemical poisons and hence they're more susceptible to having black spot rust or whatever years ago when i didn't have enough brains and i was also sucked into using um shield and um, products like that i i knew and i could see instinctively the harm that they did they killed the insects solved the problem and caused another problem so what i used to do is i used to put plant food in with the spray so they're getting a bit of goodness along with yes. the chemical so that helps them recover a bit quicker mm -hmm. um but it's best not to use those at all and this chap was saying he got onto the magic botanic liquid of ours which i, which I love and he said his roses are beautiful now they've come back after all this time of having to use the chemicals and i've seen the same thing happening too years ago when i was uh, had a garden center and i used to deliver um plants and stuff and compost to people and i remember an elderly couple who loved their roses and they were always out there with their shield and super shield and rose fertilizer and nitrophosca blue. And their roses were always bloody horrible. They got to the stage as time went on that they couldn't garden anymore. Right. And so, in a sense, they let their garden go to rack and ruin. But the roses, after a couple of seasons, were able to restore themselves naturally <laughs> without all this chemical rubbish, and they were beautiful yeah. again. How amazing. Now, <clears throat> tell me about watering, Wally, this time of year. Okay. Ideally, if people have got the time and patience and they want to lose the stress of day-to-day -day living about what to buy, Auntie May Myrtle for Christmas or something, you know, all, the, all that stressful things. Um, it's hand watering with a wand, right? So you get, you know, the wands that you buy in uh, garden centres, it's your hand and it, it's got a rose spray or it's adjustable, you can do it different. But with the rose type spray, 
is go around and hand water all your preferred plants. The reason is, while you're doing that, any little weeds that have popped up, you can pluck out while you're watering, right? So you're, you're keeping the weed problem at a bay. Secondly, you're looking at the plants. And when you're looking at the plants, you'll see, oh, there's some aphids on that one, or this one's got a problem, or whatever. So it's kind of therapeutical, and it's also being a doctor and being able to determine has your plants got a problem or not, right? If you're dealing with, uh, say, your cabbages and you haven't used crop cover or whatever, while you're watering the cabbages, you could be fussing through the leaves looking for the caterpillars or the eggs and squash yes. them, right? Yes. Um, and and when you're watering a plant, does it make a difference if you water the leaves or just water the ground? Well, rain comes out of the sky, and I've never seen rain just water the ground. No. No, no, never. So if you're water now here's the problem, though. If you're using chlorinated tap water in your hose and you're watering over the foliage, you're putting chlorine in over the foliage. Not very good. And worse still, you're putting it into the soil where all the microbes and microcilia and fungi and worms are, which you want, you're killing them mm. because that's what chlorine does, right? So most important, you put a filter, housing filter, which we have for $160, complete unit, snap onto your hose at the tap side, and then you go and water your garden. And that water is just about as good as rainwater then. And a drip system, which I have have, because I thought, oh, this would be good because I'm lazy, may be a bit of a negative because you're not getting the water on the leaves. Um, rainwater coming out of the sky has nitrogen. So that's good value. And and after a shower of rain, you can see plants picking up because they're getting a bit of nitrogen growth, right? Your tap water's not going to have that, even with the filter on, got rid of the chlorine. Um, over the foliage, because the plants absorb moisture or liquid or plant foods through the foliage, you've got a situation, particularly in the summertime, when um, the plants perspire or transpire moisture out to keep themselves cooler, just like we sweat to do the same thing. So watering over the foliage can be an advantage. I tend to do so in my glass house um, because, of course, I'm not exposed to rain, and it tends to wash off some aphids or whitefly if they are present on the plant. And it gives uh, some moisture into the foliage where it doesn't have to come up from the root system, mm. right? So it's, it's nice in that respect. Now, here's an interesting one. Yesterday, I contacted my supplier of VaporGuard, and, I, and they rang me back and said, if you want to get VaporGuard, you better get in quick. I said, why? They said, well, over in the Hawke's Bay, they're having a heat wave at the moment, and all the commercial growers 
a buying up vapor guard left, right, and center to spray over their fruit trees. I said, really? And they said, yes, well, because it prevents the fruit from getting burnt in the sun. And it also helps the fruit to ripen better and also hold after you've picked it mm. for a longer time. So I bought up a whole pot of vapor guard and I thought, well, I've never struck that before. I never thought about it, though I had heard that in the past with vapor guard. But no, they spray it over the fruit trees, apples, etc., and uh, they end up with a better crop. But you do not, and this is most important, put any chemical insecticides, fungicides with it because vapor guard lasts for up to three months on whatever you sprayed. And if you have a chemical in it and it's over fruit, of course, you're putting chemicals on the outside of that fruit, which is not going to wash off easy. Now, I am a totally haphazard waterer. So I work on the basis that water's a good thing, almost can't have too much of it. If my plants, if the ground looks dry, I pour on the water. I don't flood it, obviously. But how do you work out how much water to supply your garden? Okay. If you're watering by hand daily, what you're doing, because you've got, in, in natural circumstances, not containers, but uh, you've got underwater in the soil, um, the underground water, etc., which is rising up, right? When you're watering on the top, you're reducing the amount that has to rise up, right? And on a daily basis, it works a treat. Um, if you go for a week or so without watering, then you may find that when you do come to water, the water doesn't go in. It sits on the surface because the surface tension has got so great that it won't allow water to penetrate, which is quite dangerous too because if you have a lot of rain suddenly, like some places are, it's happening with, with this climate alterations that they're doing, um, then you have a flood. You, you lose topsoil. It's a good idea prior to rain. You know it's going to rain. It's going to water your garden. Oh, really? Yeah. Because Just so it won't run off. It'll soak in. It will soak in, right, and less chance of flooding. If you do have surface tension and the water doesn't penetrate in, there's a very simple thing to do, and that is you get your watering can, you get some warm water, you get your dishwashing liquid, which is the only application in the garden for dishwashing liquid, nothing else. Never put it with sprays, waste of time, and it's detrimental. And you give it a good squirt in your watering can, and then you lather up with your hand, make it a bit soapy, and you water that over the dry soil area. Now, it's very noticeable in a lawn, which we call dry spot. In other words, you might even have an irrigation system, but there's an area of the lawn that won't accept water, and it's brown grass, and around the circumference of it is lovely green grass because all the water's going there, right? 
So you get your watering can with your dishwashing liquid, water that over that, breaks the surface tension. Next time you come to water, hey, presto, it goes in. The same thing applies with container plants too. Most important, because the potting mix dries out, you water, and you think you're doing a good job, but the water actually goes down the side of the pot to the source of beneath. And the plant doesn't really get much of a drink. And within a day or so, it's it's got its tongue out again, it's thirsty, right? Because the water's not going into the total mix. So once again, some dishwashing liquid, water that over the, what's that? Or the alternative, if you've got a smaller pot and you're able to, you take your container and you have a sink or tub or bucket or something and you plunge it into the bucket of mm. water. It mm. goes underneath and it bubbles. The more bubbles it has, the drier it was, right? When it stops bubbling, you can lift it up and let it drain and then hang it back up or sit it back in the saucer or whatever. With container plants, this time of the year, ideally, where practical, you should plunge them all. Mm. So that would suggest you're better to do a little bit of watering often rather than a big water because that big water is going to be ineffective and you run the risk of drying out when you're not watering. Yeah, and the big water may not penetrate into the soil. When you have a dry uh, field, you know, like playing field in the middle of summer, um, drought time, all the grass has gone brown, right? You think the whole lot's dead. They're not actually dead. Um, they're just hibernating, sort of, waiting for moisture to come back. Hmm. But it takes a bit of watering or a bit of rain to break the surface tension to get the grass to come back again, right? And eventually, if it rained every two or three days for two or three hours, that would be ideal because you're progressively breaking surface tension mm. with the water. Well, that uh, dishwashing liquid's a good uh, tip. And so what we're talking about now, ladies and gentlemen, is over the Christmas and New Year, get your winter crops ready. You're going to be planting them through to March. And cabbages, carrots, collies, lettuces, broccoli, all the good stuff. Wally, it's our last interview for the year. It's been a blessing to get to know you. Thank you. And you're very popular oh. with the listeners. I have to say you're very popular, particularly with the ladies. Really? Yes. Well, I can still go to the supermarket without a disguise. Not yes. like you. You, no. you, you, have, you have to put very dark glasses <laughs> and a scarf and, and a mask so I people do. don't know it's Rodney. <laughs> I do. Now tell me, Wally, what have you got, what have you got planned over the Christmas time? Um, good question. We'll be busy, of course, this time of the year, um, sending products out, uh, mail order. Um, it goes sort of crazy. Um, the book is selling very well. Um, with, of the 500, I think we've sold over 300 of them so far, so there's still some left. Um, and yeah, it, it will hopefully. In between answering emails, 
telephone calls and I can get out and do a bit of gardening. Uh, that, <laughs> in fact, I'll tell you how bad it is. Um, my partner's um, son's girlfriend, she um, wanted to uh, earn some money and she's been helping out with packaging products and so forth. And she's got stuck into the garden. She's weeded my gardens. She's oh, even yeah. weeded places where the grass was like, you know, up to my waist high type of thing. And I hadn't got a chance to get around. The place is looking bloody lovely. Yeah. <laughs> That's embarrassing, Wally. You're having your, uh, what is it, your daughter in law um, doing the gardens. Yes. Now, do you sort of have a break and have some pavlova and ice cream pudding? Yes, yes, and, and and then jump on the scales and see how much damage was done. <laughs> <laughs> do you um do you take a holiday? No, um, I have no desire to go travelling around the countryside. My partner and her son, um, you could say daughter-in-law, um, they, they do. They travel all over the place. They, they just came back from Auckland, spent the night up there, and brought a whole lot of stuff back for our Filipino food shop. Um, and I, I, I've got an older brother, Peter, and he's seven years older than me. And I was talking to him not so long ago, and we was we were going to take him over to our other brother who is in Napier. And I rang him up to see if he's organised to go across. I was going to drive him across, and he says, "Look, thank you very much, but I prefer to stay at home." And I think I'm a bit like that now. It could be in our genes, our family, that um, I've got no great desire to go flitting around because I I did that for years, Mm. travelling technician, travelling salesman. I I would do like several hundred miles a week driving around all over the place, occupation or whatever. Nowadays, I just like to be at home, put my feet up. I'm a I'm it might be an age thing, Wally, because that's where I'm at too. And you know, I um I struggle to go to functions, I struggle to travel. Um, I need a pretty good reason because um there's always something to do. And um I find travel now quite stressful. I find flying on a plane horrible because you that going through that security just drives me. Take your shoes off, take your hat off, strip down. Oh, you set the beeper off. You're standing in this queue and you're feeling as though you're being herded like cattle. So that troubles me. I still like driving, but I don't know whether it's just me and whether my attitude to risk has changed. But man, oh man, I notice a lot more dangerous behavior on the roads. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've heard some incredible things. Um, one person from the South Island, a farmer, um, we, we got talking about, you know, the strange things happening, ex-COVID, ex-jabbing. And he said, it's not uncommon. He said, I'm way out in the country driving into town to see the odd car that's gone off the side of the road into the ditch. He said, it never used to happen. No. And there's no obvious reason for it to happen. It's like people either fell asleep or, or lost the plot or something and drove off the side of the road. Well, I had never 
seen until a couple of years ago someone ever pass on a yellow light. Now I see it consistently. Yeah. And then just on uh, Sunday, I was driving back from Waimati, and I'm always telling my wife, you know, when we learned to drive, my father taught me that assume that when you're going around a corner, that there's something bad up ahead. So go slow so you can stop because you're blind going around a corner. Mm. And I came around this corner, and I hadn't been taking my father's advice, and here was a, a car on the wrong side of the road hurtling towards me at a great pace of knots. And this driver had come across a farmer and his tractor and decided he'd pass. But it happened to be on a blind corner with me coming oh. out of the way. Yeah. And tragically, we just had a neighbour killed. Um, we didn't know him particularly well. But we had a neighbour killed out on our highway um, on Saturday. And it would appear that he was heading off into work. He worked for Nadia Lim. And he was heading off to work here. He was a caricature or something. What do they call it when they deal with meat? And someone had had a big night the night before, coming home at 8 in the morning, it would seem. There'd been some police alerts about this driver. Killed him. Actually, and, another thing I've noticed, and, and it never used to happen, but people are making funny mistakes. I've, I've had several people who put their telephone number down, but they, they reverse the last two digits or they yeah. get the last digit wrong, right? Um, yeah. And suppliers, um, they send you stuff that you didn't ask for and didn't give you the stuff you wanted. And it, it's kind of like people have lost the plot. Not you everybody. Think it's a, yeah. No, I have noticed it. And it's like, and then when you do pull them up, they go, oh, okay. It's just odd. I don't know whether it's we've become more couldn't care less, more selfish, whether the jab is affecting people. Yeah, well, Hatchet, um, Hatchet brought this up, yes. the psychological aspect of affecting yeah. their mental uh, what's-names. You know, like there's been, according to what I've seen on uh, from him or elsewhere, a lot more suicides, a lot more, you know, people having mental breakdowns or whatever. Uh, X jabbing, and I, I I think it's going to be an interesting year and not a very nice year for a lot of people that um, are still suffering effects from those um, jabs. Well, that's a good thing to end on because we do want to put for our thoughts and our prayers all of those that have been vaccine injured and have been denied care, denied recognition, denied a platform, and hopefully next year we get a proper COVID inquiry where they can come forward and explain to those in power what they've experienced. And um, let's hope next year that this excess deaths starts to come down. Yeah. Because... In a strange way, you feel vindicated for all the rubbish we talk, but these are real people dying. And um, 
again, um, next year is going to be revelatory for all of that because we're gonna there's going to be I think the floodgates might open. Well, Wally, merry merry Christmas to you, my yep. friend. Thank you. I look forward to picking up with you in the new year and for my gardening. I can't tell you how much joy it's given me and my family to become a gardener. It's another first uh, for this year. And for all our listeners, can I wish from Wally and I a very Merry Christmas, some good gardening times. And remember, too, the origin of Christmas. It's the birth of Jesus, the greatest man that ever worked, walked this earth, came to us, God's son. Thank you, Wally. Send me a text, 2057, email me. Inbox and, at reallycheck.radio. And if people have a problem, they can email me or phone me on the 0800 number and uh, I'll be around to answer their questions. What's your 0800 number again, Wally? It's 0800 466 464. And the email? Wally JR at gardennews.co.nz. One N in Garden News. <laughs> There you go, everyone. Thank you for being with us. Yep. Thank you for tuning in to RCR, Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to or dislike what you're listening to, either way, we want to hear from you. Get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057. That's 2057. Or email us at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you, so connect with us today.